Okay, we're we're rolling. Well, it's a pleasure pleasure to be here. That's just that's just saying that. That's not the, to start somewhere because there's so many places to start. Jane, you and I first met in uh, eighteen years ago. Eighteen years ago in London. You said once, every day I say to myself, when do I stop acting? My whole life has been an act. Do you, do you feel that? Fascinating quote. Before I became an actress, I, I did an awful lot of acting. There was an awful lot of drama going on. And, uh, and once I channeled it all into legally acting, I stopped doing it in my life. Really? Sure. You said, because you said once, you said that you wouldn't have... You wouldn't have gone to psychiatrists, nor would you have acted if you'd been happy, you said once. I don't think actors are necessarily more or less unhappy than other people. They're unhappy people who pretend to be other unhappy people so that a lot of unhappy people will love them <laughs> and make them happy, <laughs> you know? Uh, That's acting. Yeah, it comes and goes. I think we all have uh, big egos, otherwise we wouldn't do it. But imagine it, you get on the stage and if you're, if you're not just skimming the surface, if you're really doing it, you're revealing a great deal about yourself. Uh, and sometimes you're completely ripped to shreds by audiences, by critics, and it's not something that you've created and you put over your mantelpiece, it's you that is vulnerable to attack. And, uh, you know, it's not always easy. And the hard thing is to, to, to not shut off, to not get scared and shut off. That's the voice of Jane Fonda, talking to my dad, David Frost, in 1969. Fonda is an acclaimed American actor, winner of Academy Awards, Golden Globes, Emmys, and just about every other award you can think of. But she's also so much more than that. She's a trailblazer who helped pave the way for dozens of powerful women in movies and a political activist who campaigned against the Vietnam War and fought for economic rights for workers, all of which we will hear about in this episode. But to Dad, Jane Fonda had an added and unique part in his professional life, because in 1960, when Fonda was 23 and Dad only 21, he sat down with her for what was his first ever interview. When they met again in 1978, they reflected on that moment that started it all. I was in Europe publicizing Tolstoy. My first interview. Was it yes. television? Oh, yes, I remember. It was a program called Close Up. Yeah, I remember. And, uh, <laughs> was there television? There was another interview. Years. My first interview was Jane and my second was uh, James Mason. Look where you've gone since then. It's all been downhill from there, you see. Jane Fonda for your first interview. Not bad, Dad. Not bad at all. Very sadly, that 1960 conversation no longer exists, but it was at the start of illustrious careers for both. Fonda would go on to star in at least 60 movies, and Dad would do thousands more interviews. And from then until the late 1970s, as both of their stars began to rise, Dad would interview her four times, where they'd talk about her controversial political activism, People really hated your guts. I mean, mm -hmm. can you understand? They're still out there, too. The power the media had over her life. In some ways, I think uh, the media has made it fashionable to like me now. 
the media can take that away like that when it becomes unfashionable, which I'm sure that it will again. And her thoughts on what true success looks like. We don't define it in terms of career. Success to us is how well we, uh, we can maintain the quality of our lives um, in the face of tremendous pressure. I'm Wilfred Frost, and this is season two of The Frost Tapes. In this episode, a look inside the art and activism of Jane Fonda. I had it all, right? Everything people are supposed to want. Fame, money, a career, all that security. Um, and in people's eyes, I was turning against that. Born in New York in 1937, Jane Fonda is the daughter of the socialite Francis Ford Seymour and the actor Henry Fonda. Her father, a Broadway and early film star, had become famous for playing roles in Young Mr. Lincoln and The Grapes of Wrath, the latter of which is considered one of the greatest films ever made. To say the least, Jane had big shoes to fill, but when she spoke with Dad in 1969, she said that her brother, the actor Peter Fonda, had a much harder time on that front. You made one quote once that it was much easier being Henry Fonda's daughter than to be Henry Fonda's son, you said. Why, what did that mean, exactly? Well, I, I think... Uh, I'm battling an image, and I say battling with all the love and everything like that, but, you know, as a child, you fight for your own identity. I'm fighting against an opposite sex. It was easier for me to break away, because I'm a girl and he's a man. My brother, who looks like him, who moves like him, who is built like him, who in a way speaks like him, although he is in fact not like him at all, uh, had a, a much tougher time saying, I'm me, you know, I'm a man on my own, and he's done it now, and, it's, uh, and I'm really happy for him, but uh, it was hard. You know, I'm sure you understand that. Yeah, because you broke away, and then you had, then you had your reunion, and so on, and now you get on. What, what caused the reunion? How did that come about? When you'd broken away as a rebel, as it were, as you said, from your father, and so on, then you reunited again. I, I just think uh, because we love each other, you know. Uh, I would love my father if he weren't my father, because I like him as a man. I like my brother as a person. He's my friend. Uh, there's always a point for everybody. I mean, any child has to establish themselves, their own identity, and they, if at the point at which they're breaking away, they have access to the press, it can get a little sticky sometimes, but it's just a phase that everyone goes through, and then you grow up and you say, hi, Dad, how are you? You've been okay, you know. Jane Fonda's childhood was one of both privilege and heartbreak. Her parents were rich and famous, but their marriage was rocky and Fonda's mother died of suicide when she was just 12. As a teenager, Fonda's father was distant, often on tour or film shoots, and she was raised by her grandmother and developed a fierce independent streak. She worked briefly as a fashion model, appearing on the cover of Vogue twice before her 20th birthday and dabbled in dance. She went to university at Vassar, dropped out and then went to Paris. When she returned to the United States, she began pursuing an acting career and soon found that acting was more than just playing make-believe, but a way to learn more about herself. When you're on stage or when you're acting a role, you think it's, it's, it's you that's on the show. 
Because in a sense, when your father it's was you here... It's you behind he, a mask. Yeah, because when your father was here, he was almost saying he was nervous because he was being himself and not behind a mask. You don't feel protected by a mask when you're acting. Oh, of course I do. Um, I'm not quite as frightened as he is about being without a mask, but even behind a mask, you think that this is the character that I'm playing, whereas in fact it's me, but you don't know. But if, if, if you bring reality to a character, it's only the reality you know yourself. I mean, you have to find it somewhere. If I play a murderer, uh, I don't necessarily have to have murdered somebody, but I have to find in myself the equivalence of that, and that's what I use. So in a sense, I'm hiding. Here, by the way, was her father, Henry Fonda's answer, on that very topic that Dad just referenced from November 1969. I was very reluctant, very self-conscious at first. Slowly, I realized that this thing oh, in the theater was putting on a mask life. for me, this yeah. self-conscious young man that I was. And I think that's when I first realized what acting meant, what it was to be another person and to to get inside of another character and become that person. And that was like having a mask on so that I was not self-conscious on the stage. And I'm not today. And I'm called psychotic in the theater today because I'm not nervous opening nights. Most people who are just, you know, dreading it and hysterical and ready to, you know, pass out and everything, I can hardly wait for the curtain to go up because I can hardly wait to get out there with that mask on and be the person that a playwright has written now I am very self-conscious because I haven't got a mask on. Welcome back, talking with Jane Fonda. Which of all the parts you've played has been most like you? I've never played a part that's anything like me, really. I'm happy to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've used parts, bits and pieces. The, the picture that I just did, for example, I always thought that I was a relatively optimistic person until I until I did this, uh, they shoot horses, don't they? And I found out that I wasn't, <laughs> that there was a lot in there that I didn't know about. It was like opening, uh, you know, Pandora's box. Uh, and I learned a lot about myself. That's another interesting thing about acting, is that you learn a lot about what's going on what did inside. You, from the latest picture, what did you learn about yourself? I learned the uh, amount of cynicism that I have. I learned the amount of pessimism. Uh, it really got to me. I mean, it's a depressing picture. It's a very important picture, I think. The, the girl is totally cynical, totally negative, anti-life. And I just, I was not able to go home anymore. I just started staying at the studio because I went home and made everybody miserable. <laughs> and that's not good. I mean, it's, you know, actresses yeah. should keep life and work apart. And I wasn't able to. But it was this ability, a natural talent for expressing hidden and sometimes unexplored sides of herself, that made Fonda's early work win praise. In 1962, at the age of just 24, Fonda had already secured a Golden Globe for the most promising newcomer. In 1965, her appearance in the wildly successful Western comedy Cat Baloo made Fonda a household name. And when she met Dad for the second time in 1969, She'd soon be winning rave reviews for her cynical portrayals in They Shoot Horses. It's hard to overstate just how much Fonda had going for her at this point. She'd put her huge talent, beauty and privilege to great effect and established herself as a deserving star in her early 20s. The esteemed critic Pauline Kael of The New Yorker would laud Fonda's acting, quote, 
Fonda stands a good chance of personifying American tensions and dominating our movies in the 70s as Betty Davis did in the 30s." End quote. Ends up, Fonda would do more than personify America's tensions, she'd become a central part of them. I've noticed one thing um, emerging in the stuff, in the stories written about you just lately, that you've been stressing more and more the sort of the prisoners of war left in, left in Vietnam. Yes, because it's, um, it's probably the most important thing today for, for, for American people to, um, to understand that the issue of prisoners of war uh, is, is being used by the Nixon administration to, to make the American people hate the Vietnamese, you know, with stories about barbaric and humane treatment. It's, it's, it's kind of, he's chosen that issue because there isn't any other one uh, to, to arouse this kind of anger so that the American people will, will, will support uh, an escalation of the war. Starting in 1970, Fonda became deeply involved with the anti-Vietnam War protest movement. By then, a majority of Americans disapproved of the war and favored bringing the troops home. Fonda believed the Nixon administration was using the issue of prisoners of war, or POWs, to keep the war going. Now, there's a solution to the POW question. And that solution is very simple, that the United States government publicly set a date for withdrawal of all US military forces in, in, um, in Vietnam. Now, in the PRG's eight-point proposal, they made it very clear that once that date is set, even before the troops have been withdrawn, talks can be begun immediately for the release of prisoners of war. If the Nixon administration set the date so that the war will end and the prisoners can be released, that, that is really what is effective, because truly today... It's, um, it's not Hanoi, but Nixon that holds the key to those cell blocks. It is Nixon. Set the date, and we get out. Those of us in this country who are suffering the most are obviously the families of the prisoners of war. And shouldn't we listen to what the large majority of these families are saying? And the majority of them are saying, end the war. I'd like to read you a, a, a statement by a, a man who, Mr. James Warner uh, from, from Ypsilanti, Michigan, which represents, I think reflects more and more the feelings of, of the families. He says, I don't believe that the life of my son or any American boy or any Vietnamese should be sacrificed to keep Key in power. I can't understand why the United States government thinks it is in our interest to maintain military dictatorship in Vietnam. There is only one way my boy is going to come home, and that is ending the war. I want all the boys home. All 300,000 are prisoners of Key and Nixon. Let the people of South Vietnam settle their own problems. And then he says, I'm just a truck driver and a good union member. But I know that if those 200 American corporations with investments in Southeast Asia weren't there, we would not be in this war. And my son's life is not worth giving for that cause either. Early on, Fonda's voice was one of many millions calling for an end to the war. And she even performed and delivered her message to the troops. What was in your show? And I read you've got very good reviews from people who uh, 
might have... Yes, we got very good reviews, and what's important is that the soldiers liked it. We got together a bunch of people, and we, and we did a kind of a cabaret show, a series of, of, of you know, blackouts what, and sketches. What blackouts did you do? I mean, <clears> well, um, Peter Boyle um, played President Nixon, and he came out and he said, now I understand there's a great deal of controversy about uh, my policy in Southeast Asia, and so I have brought to you men here in Fort Bragg an opportunity to give me a voice vote. Uh, all those in favor of immediate withdrawal from Vietnam say aye. And there was this, this explosion of eyes. All those in favor of remaining in Vietnam say aye. Nothing. Once again, the silent majority carries the vote. <laughs> Soldiers fell apart. But any goodwill Fonda nurtured among even the most ardent anti-war soldiers would later fall apart. At the time, Fonda was routinely pointing out reported abuses and possible war crimes committed by the American military. And critics promptly accused Fonda of being more sympathetic to the communist soldiers in North Vietnam than to American troops. In fact, she got a lashing on Dad's show when he opened the floor to the audience. And I don't find that you're all right, and I don't find that you're all wrong. But some of these boys and some of the things that the Vietcong uh, uh, do to our boys aren't exactly playing pinochle. Never Let me tell you yes. about the young men that I know that have been on the field and have had children come up and throw hand grenades at them and have watched their best friend disintegrate in front of them. And this is the other side doing it too. But Fonda was resolved. She continued protesting against the war and remained one of the most prominent faces in the movement until she made a fateful trip to Vietnam in July 1972. Banned from visiting Americans in the South, Fonda went north and met with communist forces. There she met and talked to seven American POWs. She went on Vietnamese radio, pleading Americans to stop the bombing. And at the end of the trip, her minders took her to an anti-aircraft gun, a weapon used to shoot and kill her fellow Americans, and had her sit on it. A picture shows her atop the gun, wearing a helmet, laughing and smiling with North Vietnamese soldiers. The response to the photo was fierce and unforgiving. To millions, the photo showed Americans which side Fonda was on. People nicknamed her Hanoi Jane, and politicians talked openly of trying her for treason. In her 2005 autobiography, Fonda claims that she'd been manipulated. She wrote, quote, The buck stops here. If I was used, I allowed it to happen. I was trying to help end the killing and the war, but there were times when I was thoughtless and careless. I will go to my grave regretting the photograph of me. It hurt so many soldiers, end quote. To this day, many have not and will not forgive her. You were talking today about uh, love-hate relationships with the public and also with, with where, you were, where you were speaking at USC, where you'd once been... Hung uh, in effigy. Hung in effigy. I mean, thinking back to the way people viewed you, I mean, when I'm asked in interviews often about memorable women I've interviewed and I... And I in lectures, sort of lectures, and I and uh, those, yeah. I admire and so on, and uh, and I often quote you, and I can often hear an intake of breath from <laughs> part of the audience and so on, who may not totally agree with my admiration or whatever. Now, I mean, can you? 
at the height of what you were doing on Vietnam and so on, I mean, people really hated your guts. I mean, mm -hmm. can you understand? They're still out there, too. Really? Well, maybe not in as large numbers, but there's, uh, there's still, I mean, it would be foolish to assume that there isn't hostility out there. Can you understand why the feelings are that deep? Because um, yeah. I'm not sure that I can. Uh, I can understand part of it. I think part of it uh, has to do very specifically with the fact that I was uh, a certain kind of female image. I had it all, right? Everything people are supposed to want. Fame, money, a career, all that, security. Um, and in people's eyes, I was turning against that. Uh, it was a class problem. And, you know, when I'm some spoiled rich kid that's thumbing my nose at the country that gave me all this kind of a uh, feeling. I had betrayed a myth, an image. And especially for men, I think uh, that didn't go down too well. Also because there was such conflicts and confusions around the war, and there still is, about why we were there and was it right to be there and shouldn't we have tried to win and all that. Um, so anyone who was outspoken and famous and getting media coverage was going to be a focus of hostility. When you have a country that's real insecure about what we're doing, you know, then they're going to focus their... Insecurity translates into hatred. And uh, the more prominent figures, the more they attract all parts of the spectrum. And when people now say you were right, some people say you were right, um, is that a gratifying feeling? Or, or sometimes do you almost resent the fact they didn't say it sooner, as much as if they didn't say it at all? In some ways, I think uh, the media has made it fashionable to like me now. The media can take that away like that when it becomes unfashionable, which I'm sure that it will again. I just do what I do. I kind of go along and uh, uh, I don't know how to live any other way. You know, I tr the hostility was very hard to deal with. Um, I, I, you, you sort of put up barriers so that you don't feel it. Also, uh, you know, having a stable home front and, and working in an organization where there's a lot of support helped a lot. If I'd been alone, I don't think I could have taken it. There was just too much horror and violence directed towards me. But um, I'm still alive. Some people were killed. I'm working. Some people will never work again as a result of, of what went down against people who were opposing Nixon and, and other administrations. So I feel lucky. I feel that I got away with things that uh, people who were uh, less famous and rich and maybe not white didn't, weren't able to do. Just months before her fateful trip to Vietnam, Fonda, somewhat remarkably amidst her divisive protesting, won her first Academy Award for Best Actress in Clute in April 1972. And one member of the older generation that always stood by her was her father, Henry. Like I'm bragging that Peter and Jane did grow up with the proper values, but uh, I am proud of them that, that they have. Jane, both of them, are aware young people, they care, and they're aware of uh, the proper things, I feel, and, uh, and I'm proud of that. And if they got any part of it f by osmosis from me, that's fine, I'll, I'll accept that, but um, I didn't really lead them. Because that, I mean, in the sense that a lot of what Peter and Jane stand for in terms of what they're uh, protesting about on behalf of the oppressed and so on, I mean, a lot of older people find young people who are protesting uh, difficult to understand or, or, or even frightening or disturbing. I find some of them difficult to understand. 
But you understand what Peter and Jane are doing. Yes, I do. Yes, because they are doing it in the right way, I believe. There are a lot of people that are are, uh, fighting under the overall title civil rights, but they're using methods that I don't approve of, and, and including burning down the Bank of America. This, they lose me when they do that. This, I, don't, uh, I don't understand what their point is. Despite the backing of that particular movie star, after the scandal over her photograph, Fonda found work hard to come by in Hollywood for much of the 70s. But as opinions relaxed, she found herself back in the running. In 1977, the film Fun with Dick and Jane would be called her comeback role. When Dad sat down with her in May of 1978, the movie Coming Home had just been released, a film that would deliver Fonda her second Academy Award for Best Actress. Over her career, she'd received seven Academy nominations in total. How many other things would you rewrite in your life if you could? (laughs) I never know how to answer uh, that that question. I mean, I I wish that I had been a little wiser when I was 19 and 20. I wish that I had had uh, more sense of responsibility then. But uh, I'm a product of the 50s, and uh, a lot of us were sort of numb in a kind of a deep freeze, having reached adulthood at the period of uh, the suppression of any kind of uh, sense of social movement, social responsibility. It denied us, as young people gaining a a consciousness, uh, the sense that we could make any difference or change anything or control the future. So, you know, we were, talk about apathy, that was an apathetic generation. I wish that I had been different, but, you know, we are pretty much a product of the periods that we live through, right? And... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can talk hypothetically, but I just, uh, I'm real grateful for the 60s and for the anti-war movement for waking me up and for propelling my life into a new direction that has more meaning and, uh, you know, that's... Well, Mohammed Ali once inscribed a thing for me saying, a man who sees the world the same way, obviously could be a woman, man who sees the world the same way at 40 that he does at 20 has lived and wasted 20 years of their life, which is really what you're saying, that none of it's been a, none of it's been a waste because it's all been a, a learning process. Some of it's a waste. Some of it was a huge waste. <laughs> <laughs> Which but I'm not sure that it could have been any different. <laughs> what sort of things are waste then? Some of the sillier films, some of the Hollywood moments, or what? It's more um, wasted human potential. People who, there's a lot of people like me, you know, with energy and intelligence and, uh, and all that that just goes for naught. It just sort of gets spent in meaningless trivia, uh, looking for a meaning of life and trying to create some kind of structure and unable to because the conditions surrounding one don't help you find one. Uh, So, you know, that is the silly films and, and, and that. Fonda grew more selective with the films she did. From the late 70s in particular, she'd choose stories that reflected her own politics and views of morality. She also started taking more speaking engagements. No longer focused on the anti-war effort, Fonda's activism found new outlets. In 1978, Dad met up with her at the University of Southern California, where she was giving a speech. 
I forgot to announce, uh, and I don't even know if anybody noticed, there's, a f uh, there's some cameras here. David Frost is, uh, is doing a sort of a little story on me, and they asked if they could come here today and film some of this, so that's, you may be on television. Parts of which sound extremely similar to speeches you might be hearing today. I I'd like to, to try to, as simply as possible, lay out the problem. The problem is this, within the last 15 years, a small group of huge corporations have assumed monopoly control over the American economy. Uh, these corporate directors, whose number are so small, whose faces you would not recognize if they were up here right now, whose names you've never heard of, these men have more power over your lives than the people you elect to office. See, we live in a country that has democratic rights in the political arena. We can vote, I can be up here speaking. We have freedom of the press. The New York Times can publish the Pentagon Papers. No one reads them, but they're there <laughs> in print. Uh, but you'll notice that these democratic rights stop when you get to the economic arena. If you take the example of an assembly line, a man who is breathing in fumes in a lead factory or a rubber plant and who discovers that this is killing him knows also that if he begins to organize about it and raise his voice about it, he's out because there's about a thousand people waiting on the unemployment line to take his place. He is absolutely dispensable. So under those kind of conditions, where, what happens to freedom of speech? It goes right out the window. He cannot exercise his freedom of speech because he's going to lose his job if he does. So the fact of the matter is that if you don't have economic democracy, the other democratic rights begin to wither and disappear. Many of the themes in Fonda's speech remind me of season one of the Frost Tapes. In fact, this whole episode does. We had tackled similar topics when we covered Cesar Chavez, who Fonda would march side by side with many times. If you had to pick, Caesar, what thing is it that you believe in most passionately that drives you around this country with a bad back and so on? What's the most important thing to you that you believe? I think that given the information and the making it possible for people to make judgments that a lot of the social ills that we have in our country today would be wiped out overnight. What happens is that quite often the people who represent us in government do not carry out the wishes of the people. And so my hope is that uh, not only for our battle, but uh, the whole question of peace, I think that uh, if the people could make the determination directly that, that we would have peace. After Fonda's speech, Dad sat down with her and her second husband, the activist Tom Hayden, at their home. I can't think of two people who've been through more changes and more periods of growth in their life than the two of you since... Jane, you and I first met in... Uh, 18 years ago. 18 years ago in London, and then we first <laughs> met in, in New York. Um, how many phases can you see in your life, Jane? Oh, I'd say three, probably, when I discovered my profession, when I became an actress, number two. And then number three is uh, when I discovered uh, social activism, when I became uh, an activist against the war. And that particular interview, being at the couple's family home, got interrupted quite a few times. 
I've got another 30 or 40 years in which I want to be involved. Uh, so does she. Uh, they're always going to have to be... Uh, why don't we stop for a second? I think we yes. have a... Hi, kids! ...four-year-old coming in here. Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> oh, Lord. Everybody's here. This is David Frost. This is Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Nice to see you. That's, That's Troy O'Donovan Garrity. Hi, Troy. Is, you can stay, but if you stay, you got to be quiet. If you stay down here, you want, will you be real quiet, Troy? Oh, that's terrific. And it wasn't just the accidental off-camera moments where the kids featured. Have your children taught you things, Jane? I mean, have you learned things from your children, or is it just an added dimension? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, uh, my daughter, Vanessa, who's nine, taught me that... Uh, you can profess any number of things out there in the public, you know, like a belief in democracy and so forth. But if you don't practice it at the, in the home, uh, then there's something wrong. And I think kids are the first to spot discrepancies like that. And uh, uh, her temperament and her nature has let me know that I must practice in the home what I preach outside doesn't mean that you debate whether a kid should brush their teeth or take a bath, but that uh, you have to allow uh, children uh, self-respect and, and the ability to have some participation in whither goeth the family. Are you, do you think the world in, in which, or the America in which uh, Vanessa and Troy are going to grow up in, I mean, are you optimistic about it? I mean, or do, you, do you think it's going to be a tougher world than the world of the 60s or the 50s, or easier for them? I think it's going to be easier because they have a higher consciousness. When I grew up, I thought the world was safe, America was perfect, everything was fine. I wasn't prepared for any hypocrisy or contradiction. They are. Nothing is going to surprise them. Uh, as for the world, I think uh, this younger generation is uh, facing economic and energy problems that are severe. Probably the first generation of American young people that at least has to consider the possibility of not doing as well as their parents. The end of upward mobility. What do you think, Daniel? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, our political involvement, our activism, comes from a very deep feeling of... Uh, of uh, the possibility of tremendous change, the possibility of, well, the faith in, you know, our people's ability to, to get together and, uh, and improve their lives. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing what we do. Fonda's marriage with Tom Hayden would last until 1990. In that time, her activism would continue, as would her career. The 80s saw her work with Dolly Parton, win an Emmy, and release the decade's top-selling home workout video. But in the early 1990s, she stopped doing film and would remain away from the screen for 15 years. Back in 1978, Dad had an intuitive sense that Fonda might someday walk away from Hollywood. Do you look at Hollywood now as sort of... I mean, I know you're there and you've got lots of friends there. I mean, I don't mean you've deserted or whatever, but... I mean, do you look at the, the Hollywood mentality as a sort of rather lost or what? I wouldn't be working in it if I thought so. No. Um, I have a lot of, of hope for Hollywood. Um, I think that 
again, it's cyclical, but there's a lot of uh, very, very good people making some wonderful movies, and I think that there's more to come, and, uh, and I want to be part of it. And I'm not only acting in films now, but I'm producing films as well, and, uh, and real excited about it. But Hollywood's got big problems. Uh, it's monopolized. It's very hard for people, uh, newcomers, independent producers, to start to get films done that don't seem like they're going to be big box office uh, uh, commercial successes. Uh, it's, it's like closed doors to most people, and it, it shouldn't be. People write about age and so on. I mean, I re what I read of your quotes about being 40 and so on, I mean, you rather relish it. Uh, put it this way, I'm not, I'm not uh, in anguish about turning 40 and with the gray hair and wrinkles that come along with it. I, I don't relish it. That's going a little too far. If you're a movie actress, you have to realize that uh, we live in a culture that isn't too kind to aging actresses. So I'm, you know, there's that to deal with, and can I change that? <laughs> um, maybe. Um, I really feel that you, can, that you can become wiser when you're older. If you're happier and you feel that you're gaining more uh, wisdom as you go along, it, it helps accept, helps you accept getting older. In terms of all of this, and in terms of uh, talking about the future and death and so on, has a belief in God ever been part of either of your philosophies? Not as a man sitting on a cloud that you communicate with through prayer, in that sense, but um, it's something I talk a lot about the, to the kids with. Um, I think uh, it's the essence of that which is the best in everybody. Uh, we all, I think, have seeds of tremendous evil and selfishness and laziness and great capacity for generosity and goodness. And, and that, which is the most uh, in harmony with nature, is perhaps what I feel is godlike. In the 2000s, this same feeling would prompt Fonda to turn to Christianity. She'd continue her activism work focusing on women's issues, opening up a center to prevent teen pregnancy in Georgia and marching in Mexico in protest of the killings of women there. And in 2005, amid all this change, she returned to the screen, and she hasn't left it since. What do you hope to achieve in the next 20 years, Jane? I read something that Lola... Redford, Robert Redford's wife, was saying the other day, and she was asked to define success. She said, we don't define it in terms of his career, Red, Robert Redford's career. She said, it, success to us is how well we, uh, we can m maintain the quality of our lives um, in the face of tremendous pressure. Being able to, um, to maintain as people and, and, and pass to our children uh, a sense of values and... Uh, uh, a quality of life that has, uh, you know, that has meaning. I think that that is a part of what I would term success. And then to go into a, 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 the last area for me would be to, I would would like to feel that I've played a role in trying to show that culture can be responsible, that we can create a culture or recreate because we've had it here in this country, recreate a culture that has meaning and that isn't just. Uh, empty entertainment that is both entertaining but that um, speaks to people's deepest needs and deepest wishes and aspirations. Uh, I like that too. That's a magnificent answer. Thank you both very much. See you in 18 years. Done. 
Sadly, they did not meet again on camera after 1978, which I must say I'm both surprised and a little sad about given the careers they both had in the decades that followed. I find myself wondering what they might have discussed 18 or so years on. I'm sure Dad would have reflected with Fonda how she'd achieved those goals she set out. Today, she has multiple Lifetime Achievement Awards, two Oscars, an Emmy, two BAFTAs, and seven Golden Globes. But more importantly, continued her activism, most recently demonstrating on the steps of the US Capitol against climate change. And she's still acting today at the age of 83, most recently in the Netflix series Grace and Frankie. I'm sure Dad would end an interview today as he did back in 1978. What does the next 20 years hold? In the next episode of The Frost Tapes, one of Britain's and the world's most decorated and enduring actors, Michael Caine. Leading parts had only been written for people who talk what we would call posh. So as a working class young man, you felt alienated. And like when I went, I said I was going to go into the theatre. Everybody said, who do you think you are? As I was getting ideas above my station. The Frost Tapes is a production of Paradine Productions and Chalk and Blade. Executive producers are Wilfred Frost, George Frost, Laura Sheeter, Ruth Barnes and Nigel Sinclair. Produced by Lily Ames, Rosie Stouffer and Matt Nielsen. Written by Lucas Riley and Wilfred Frost. Sound design and mixing by Alex Portfelix and Matt Nielsen. Music composed by Pascal Wise. With special thanks to David Peck at Reeling in the Years Productions and to Whitehorse Pictures. Thank you.